I hope the Lord is your friend tonight and that you're treating him as your friend. You know, we're going to take some time to hear from him, from his word, and we're going to take some time to talk to him tonight. And we do these things corporately together as a church, but don't let our corporate times of gathering and praying be a crutch or a substitute for your own personal times of worship and prayer and spending time with the Lord. We need both. And God didn't command us to do one or the other. He commanded us to do both things. And I find that many times as people, we tend to do one or the other, but struggle to do both. And many people today say, well, I can just walk with God. That's a personal thing. I don't need the body of Christ. No, we need the community that comes through the body of Christ, the church. And then there are other people, well, I go to church, I, I'm doing those things, but they have no personal time with the Lord. It, you can't do one or the other, it's doing both. And uh, when Jesus is your friend, you should be walking in that way. Well, we uh, began just a couple of weeks ago studying from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're focusing right now for the next several weeks on the Beatitudes, these blessings that are promised here in the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Imagine what it must have been like that day as Jesus went up into that mountaintop and as He sat down, all the multitudes gathered around to hear Him. When you're studying and learning how to preach and the first few times that you get ready to preach, I think one of the things you get the most nervous about is how to begin your message, the introduction, the first line, those things that you're trying to say to captivate the audience's attention so people actually wake up and sit up and pay attention. So sometimes people will tell a joke or sometimes people do something crazy to try to get people's attention. But I think it's interesting in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus didn't start out with a joke. He didn't start out with anything crazy. Although the content of these words might have sounded kind of crazy to the audience that he spoke to that day because many of the things that Jesus said seemed to go completely opposite to the way the world thought. And really, as we examine these Beatitudes, I think they in many ways seem to go very contrary to the way our world thinks today. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 5. I'll read from verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to take some time to focus on verse number 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye. When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Would you go back with me and read out loud together verse number 5? Because that's where I want us to spend the bulk of our time as we focus on this third beatitude. Let's read it together. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is meekness? Who are these meek? And why will they inherit the earth? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus, as He was preaching to this crowd that day, was speaking to a group primarily of Jewish people. These were people who were under Roman authority. In their day and age, as it is today, it was power and wealth that ruled the day. It was not meekness. Often we get the meekness confused with the idea of weakness. If you looked around and you said, who is a meek person? Naturally, I think most people might point to a weak person. And yet meekness is not weakness. Rather, meekness is a humble attitude that expresses itself in the patient endurance of offenses. Somebody said it this way. Meekness is strength under control. It's not weakness, it's strength under control. This word meek in the original language was used to describe the reigning in of a stallion. It is the idea of a horse that's being controlled by a bit and a bridle. This horse is choosing to submit to its authority. That is meekness. It is power. It is strength under Amen. control. Proverbs 16.32 describes this idea when it says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. You would think, man, somebody who has enough power to go out and take a city, that's a pretty incredible army. That's a pretty incredibly powerful person. But the Scripture says if you can rule your own spirit, if you can have control over, demonstrate that strength under control, that's better than taking a city. If you can be slow to anger, you are better than or stronger than the mighty. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, it takes incredible strength to be a meek person. 
Peter wrote about Jesus Christ in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 21 to 23, and he said this, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. Who is this Christ? Well, John describes Him in verse 1, or in John chapter 1, when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the Creator God. Colossians chapter 1 speak of this Christ, and it says that by Him all things consist. They hold together. Jesus is full of power. He's the same one who, after He died, He didn't stay dead. He laid in the grave, yes, for three days and three nights, but He rose again on the third day. Jesus had great strength, and yet Jesus is our example of meekness. What is meekness? It says in 1 Peter again, chapter 2, He left in his, us an example that we should follow in His steps. Verse 22, Who did no sin, Referring back to what we read in Proverbs about being slow to anger and controlling your spirit, that Jesus demonstrated that. He did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Wouldn't it be nice to talk to somebody who didn't have any deceit in what they were saying? You could believe what they said. You could believe their intentions and their motives. And you didn't have to sort of take what they said with a grain of salt. Well, when we look at people around us, we often expect them to have guile in their mouth. But Jesus had no guile in His mouth. Verse 23, who when He was reviled, they reviled Him, He reviled not again. What a great picture of meekness. Somebody came up and punched you in the face. How would you respond? Jesus didn't respond weakly. He responded meekly. They reviled him, but he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Well, if you hurt me, I'm going to. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't threaten them back. Say, what kind of Jesus is this? What kind of God is this? Is he a weak God? No, Jesus was meek. Meek. Notice the last part of 1 Peter 2. In verse 23, it says, But he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Sometimes we get the idea of weakness when it comes to meekness because there is a submissiveness. He says, man, Jesus, you let them walk all over you. It's because Jesus was submitted to a higher authority, a greater power than even the power of the Romans or the power of the Jews. That's why meekness is strength under control. It's being able to not be a weak person, be a strong person, but be under restraint because you're submitting yourself not to your own will or the will of others around you, but rather you're submitting yourself to the God, the great judge who is the great God and in charge of all things. Well, that takes great strength, doesn't it? 
The Bible also gives Moses as an example of meekness. In Numbers 12.3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were on the face of the earth. Romans 12.3 speaks about this idea of this strength under control. It says, For I say through the grace given to me that not to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. If you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, we call that pride. Meekness is not pride. Meek, pride says, I am somebody, and it's putting more on ourselves and thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to think. The example, rather, is one of meekness. Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Again, submitting yourself to God, thinking soberly as God has given you the ability and the measure of faith. True strength comes from God. Meekness is strength under control. Think about it this way. You have the greatest strength when you submit your way to God. Who was the strongest man physically in the Bible? What was his name? Samson. But do you know when Samson did his greatest feat of strength? It was when he was fully submitted to God. Samson did some pretty incredible things, didn't he? When he caught all those foxes and tied their tails together and put burning brands in the back. And when he took the jawbone of the donkey and he killed all those all those Philistines, just one guy with a jawbone, and they all had swords and spears and everything else. He, he did some incredible stuff when he picked up the city gates and put them on his shoulder and walked away. But his most incredible feat of strength came after they had shaved his head, after they put his eyes out, after he had been put to just grind grain with animals, and then they brought him out to make mockery of him and put his hands on the, and he asked if his hands could be on the pillars. And Samson said this in Judges 16, 28. Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson, with his hands on those pillars, took out the entire building. Why was Samson so strong in that moment? Because he was fully submitted to God. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Strength that is submitted to God's way and God's plan. It takes great strength to be patient, doesn't it? A lot more. It takes more strength to be patient than it does to just rush into things. It takes great strength to forgive, much more strength than to get angry and lash out. It takes great strength to humble yourself, much more than it takes strength to be proud and arrogant and do what you want to do. John Newton, the man who wrote the words to the song we know as Amazing Grace, the man who had lived life as a ship's captain and slave trader before he came to Christ, he wrote these words 
near the end of his life, he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. What is meekness? It's strength under control. So, number two, why should meekness be celebrated? Why? Look at our text again in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Think about it. In our world today, when are the meek celebrated? If you turn on the TV and watch any show of any you know, kind of game show or any show, talent show, it, it's not the meek, it's the proud. It's the arrogant. It's the people who are always self-promoting. Those are the ones who are celebrated. And yet Jesus is speaking as if the blessing comes to those who are meek. Why should meekness be celebrated? I would give you two reasons. The first is this. Meekness is what God values. Meekness is not what this world values, but it is what God values. There's another word in the New Testament in the English that comes from the same word that's translated meek in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, and it is the word gentleness. These two ideas really go hand in hand. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And here's the same word in the Greek, gentleness. Gentleness. Goodness and faith. See, Jesus... Words here in Matthew chapter 5, they challenge our desire for instant gratification. I'm going to get what I want when I want it. I'm going to get it now. And it, His words offer us blessings as we let God be in control of our lives. Meekness. Meekness is what God values. Meekness is what Jesus demonstrated. This is the second reason I believe that meekness should be celebrated. Meekness is what Jesus demonstrated. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. The rest for your souls come, comes, the rest for your soul comes as you submit yourselves to God's will and God's way. The example of Jesus Christ was to be meek, gentle, lowly. He starts that verse by saying, take this yoke upon you. Oh, yokes, these aren't egg yokes, right? These are yokes used when you would hook a, a pair of oxen together or that you'd put around an animal that is pulling a heavy load. They even made smaller yokes for people that they would use to carry buckets of water and they'd put a yoke across their shoulders and 
And in some places, those kinds of things are even used today. A yoke was something that allowed you to carry a burden, a heavy weight. But a yoke also, used properly, allows you to carry a weight better and easier than you could without that yoke. It allows you to harness the power of more than one beast of burden together with another animal so that they can pull a greater weight than one could pull by themselves. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Come alongside me. Yoke up with me. He says, learn of me. Follow my example. Walk in my footsteps. When you, I, I don't know this from personal experience, but I've read and talked to others about this. When you train animals to pull together in, in, when they're yoked together, there's always a lead animal. There's one that is, is in charge, so to speak. And so the commands primarily go to that animal first and, and the others learn to walk in step with that lead animal. You can't have two leaders. It doesn't work very well in, in, in a yoke. They're supposed to pull together, but they do that as, as the animals take their cues off of each other and then from the driver of those animals. It's a beautiful picture when we think about taking the yoke of Christ upon us. This is not a picture of Jesus saying, here, take my yoke. Now I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. No, Jesus is saying, no, come into this with me and, and, and be walking beside me, following my lead, and I'm going to be there pulling right alongside you. Sometimes we think the burden of the Christian life is just this hard thing that we just have to carry by ourselves, and maybe we can find a few other people who want to do it with us. No, Jesus is offering to carry it with you. He says, take my yoke upon me. Further on in this passage, he says, for my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. How is that? Because Jesus is in there with you. He's in there with you. Jesus is what meekness is best. We, we see meekness best in the life and work of Jesus Christ. So why should meekness be celebrated? Because it's what God values. And it's what Jesus demonstrated. So thirdly tonight, I want us to look at one more piece of this idea of meekness, specifically from our text in Matthew 5.5. 5. The second part of the verse says, For they shall inherit the earth. So I want to ask a question. When will the meek inherit the earth? So when does that actually happen? Again, the earth that Jesus lived on is controlled by Romans. The rich and powerful ruled. Nothing in that regard has changed. Just different people are rich and powerful than were back then. So Jesus is preaching to villagers, to poor people, people without large influence or power. So how does this statement, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, how does that help the poor person? Is Jesus just trying to build these people up with false hope? Give them some you know, just some religious promises to make them feel good about themselves. There are many people in our world today that think that that's all that religion is good for. It's to give hope to poor people and to the masses who don't have good education and who, who don't have all the money and ability that they have. 
how does this help? When will the meek inherit the earth? One of the pastors we were working with yesterday in Louisiana, uh, we had a conversation about an hour ago, and he was asking for prayer for one of the men in his church who just came back from Afghanistan. He's in the military, and he's been over there as all of this mess has been going on. And he said he hadn't been able to sleep for days because of all of the atrocities that he saw being taken place, taking place around him. Women and children just being beaten up and abused and killed and thrown in ditches. And, and this is all happening right there. He said it just is amazing and horrific to think of how awful people will act. It's worse than animals. Why is that? Well, it's because they need Jesus. Sometimes we think this attitude, we're, we're, we're kind of good people. No, the only goodness that we have comes from God. Sin is a corrupting influence, and it, it corrupts. Its corruption goes very deep. He said, please pray for this young man and others who had to see and be a part of those things. And he said, you know, they were doing everything they could to push back and fight back, but they were being called away and taken out, and there was really nothing they could do. He said it was like, you know, trying to push back against something for a moment, and then, but as soon as you stepped away, you know, you might push one person away, and ten others are stepping in to do exactly what the one was doing that you were trying to stop. It's horrific. There's no words. So when you think about situations like that, and then you look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, you say, well, what's the point of it anyway? I mean, if the world is such a bad place, then is what Jesus is saying even true? About the meek inheriting the earth. He's affirming that salvation is not just something we look forward to someday in heaven. It's something that we experience right now. We are saved in this life from our sin. We are saved, yes, at the moment of our death. We are saved as we come before God. We are saved at the final judgment. We are saved, yes, even when we come to reign with Christ, a new earth. When Jesus was speaking in this context, He's speaking about right now, but also the future of what is to come. See, I believe there's even more of this inheriting the earth, of this salvation. See, our salvation is not just from our sin and something that comes in the future, it's being saved in our very personhood or our very humanity. So to inherit the earth for me right now means to be given strength to face the diseases that afflict me because I know that my future inheritance in a sort of physical sense is sure, but I can trust even in the spiritual sense at this point that that inheritance is sure. So therefore, 
My inheritance is already here. This sickness that I have is not going to hold me back. I can continue on. Or this financial struggle that I have is not the be-all, end-all of everything because as a believer, someone who is submitting themselves to the will and power of God, the meek, your inheritance of this earth is secure. Revelation tells us He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And that the believers will come back to rule and reign with Him on this earth. To inherit the earth is to know the fullness of love and companionship that comes as part of the body of Christ. To inherit the earth is to know friendship and love based around truth. To inherit the earth is to be at peace with God. In our study here of Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching about what it looks like for a believer who's living in this world and who's looking forward to the world to come. And He's teaching how we get to God through Jesus Christ. He's teaching the necessary posture of the soul before a holy God. Jesus is teaching that to come to Him in humility, repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, that will bring eternal life and the life abundant. The fullness of salvation that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ would be inconceivable except for the promises of God. The meek shall inherit the earth. It's pretty incredible that he doesn't say the proud, the strong, the arrogant, the wealthy shall inherit the earth. He says it's the meek that shall inherit the earth. So what's Christ teaching here in Matthew 5, 5? What does it mean to come to God in meekness? I think the words of the song sum it up well. Just as I am without one plea. And that thou, but that thy blood, right, was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I, I come. Meekness is submitting my will, my plans, my energy, my resources that I think are mine. Ultimately, they all come from God. Realizing they all come from Him and submitting them back to Him, putting them at His feet and say, Lord, it's all Yours. What do You want me to do? As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Jesus Christ, as the perfect picture of meekness, took all of His strength and all of His power and all of His ability and all that He was, and He submitted it to the will of His heavenly Father. 
We read the verses there. I want you to look back with me as we close in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. What example are you following? Is it an example of meekness? When you look in this world, when you see who's on TV, when you see who the leaders are in our culture, whether it's political leaders, whether it's celebrities, people who own the various social media outlets, people who spend a lot of time thinking and talking and speaking to others, is their example one of pride and arrogance or is it one of meekness? There's only one perfect example of meekness and that's Jesus Christ. Yes, the strong will inherit some things. The, the proud will make some ground in various areas of their life. But if we're going to follow in the example of Jesus Christ, we need to be willing to walk in the steps of meekness. Probably won't be appreciated much by this world. It probably won't be recognized by the powers that be around us that we see and know. And the reality is sometimes you are more intent on pleasing other people or pleasing this world than you are in pleasing the Lord. God values it. He says it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you value what God values? Do you focus your life and pattern your steps after Christ? Or after your own way? You know, when friends at school make fun of you, the natural response, I struggle with this as much as anybody, is to just make fun of them back, right? I'm going to show them I can out, you know, if they're going to tease me, I can tease them even worse back. When people at work do whatever is necessary to get ahead of the next person and put them down and take advantage of others, say, well, I'm going to out-negotiate them next time. I'm going to out-maneuver them next time. I'm going to make sure this never happens to me. All of those are natural responses. But Christ, in His example, when He was reviled, He reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. I was listening to a message yesterday on one of my long drives, and it was a really interesting thought. He said, why would people back during the time of Christ and right after the time of Christ, we're studying through the book of Acts right now, why would people be interested in following in a religion or a way of teaching that would make them give up, in many cases, houses and lands and family. You read about the Christians, these early Christians living in the catacombs. Have any of you ever been to that part of the world? That, that wasn't a nice place to live. Why would people do something like that? And the, the preacher was making the point that there must have been something really compelling about the way of Christ 
to get people to give all that up. And as you read some of those early accounts, we know there were wealthy people. We know there were slaves or former slaves. We know that there were men and women. We know there were people from all different nationalities and skin colors and backgrounds. And they were all coming together to form this new thing called the church. And they were called Christians, this new group of people. They they didn't have any political authority or clout. They didn't have any freedom per se, to exercise their faith very much. In fact, every time they start to grow some, persecution would come and and get after them. Anytime their head sort of poked out of the sand, so to speak, there was more persecution. Why did people continue to turn to Christ? And this, the message I heard yesterday was really focused on the fact that there's something compelling in the message it was a totally different way, and he was taking it back to John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Your walk with God is not just, well, I prayed a prayer and I got saved, or I came and I got baptized, or I come to church. No, your walk with God is, is the way. It is the life, and it ought to impact every single area of your life, what you say, what you think about, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what your priorities are like. And this is one of those things, meekness, that if lived out, really has to have impact in every area of our life. It's not natural. It's a a fruit of the Spirit. It's not easy. It takes great strength. It's really not even possible in your own strength. You must submit yourself to the Lord. Yoke up with Jesus. Let Him be your example. And walk in step with Him. Give your burdens to the Lord. Come to Him just as you are. Stop living in pride and and arrogance. I'm going to fix it my way. And give yourself wholly to Him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Lord, thank You for your perfect example. We just have only begun to scratch the surface in thinking about it. And I pray that tonight, this week, we would meditate on your truth. Walk in meekness before you. In Jesus' name I pray.